0: Right. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Thursday, February the 4th. Great day to subscribe to The Local, and if you learn something, share it with a friend. Today, back in the day, February 4th, 1938, Timberline Lodge opened for the first time to the public. The construction of the lodge was funded by the Oregon Works Progress Administration beginning in 1935. The lodge, located on Mount Hood, was designated by U.S. Forest Service architects. In the fall of 37, FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt came to Oregon to dedicate that lodge as well as Bonneville Dam. FDR said that the lodge, and I'm quoting, marks a venture that was made possible by WPA Emergency Relief Work in order that we may test the workability of recreational facilities installed by the government itself and operated under its complete control, end quote. Oregon's WPA director, Emerson Griffith, spearheaded that project. Griffith turned the lodge over to the U.S. Forest Service in January 1938. The lodge opened to the public February 4th. Today, back in the day, 1938. In 1977, incidentally, Timberline Lodge was declared a national landmark. And a monument to the idea that people working together can do some beautiful and useful things. It remains a popular tourist attraction, a popular ski resort. Also, it was the exterior shoots of the Hotel in the Shining. It's Black History Month, and to celebrate, we're highlighting the lives and achievements of Black Oregonians throughout history. Today, we remember Thelma Johnson Street. Thelma Johnson Street was a Black artist, dancer, educator, and folklorist. She was born in 1912, graduated from Washington High School in Portland. We talked about Washington High School in a previous today, back in the day. She began painting as a child, then attended the Museum Art School in the 1930s. The Museum Art School was located where the Portland Art Museum currently stands in southwest Portland. It has since been renamed the school, not the building, has since been renamed the Pacific Northwest College of the Arts. Thelma Johnson Street moved to San Francisco, participated in the Works Progress Administration art programs, the same New Deal agency responsible for the Timberline Lodge. See, all this stuff comes together. It's all a seamless web. Street went on to become a successful artist. Her painting style was modernist and abstract expressionist. Much of her work explored socioeconomic political themes. She received threats from the KKK for one of her paintings, and she was known for her murals. She was a multi-talented artist and performer. She would sometimes perform interpretive dance to accompany those murals. She also created numerous projects focused on teaching children about cultural diversity. Thank you to Thelma Johnson Street. Johnson Street in Portland, as far as I know, isn't named after her. It's spelled differently, at least the street part. But I suppose we could just start using it that way. Oh, look, it's Johnson Street. It's after Thelma Johnson Street. Today, we have an interview with Allison McIntosh of the Oregon Housing Alliance. Allison and the X-Ray team talk about the upcoming housing legislation. X-Ray. And first up, it's time for today's Quick Sex Local Rundown. The Oregon Unemployment Department has settled in a class action lawsuit. The agency was sued over the long delays in receiving unemployment benefits during the pandemic. The lawsuit also addressed barriers to benefit applications. For instance, it took months for the department to offer applications in Spanish. The suit did not seek monetary damages. Instead, the employment department agreed to be more timely and inclusive in its benefit payments. The agency has agreed to follow federal standards for timeliness, also agreed to complete its adjudication backlog by March 1st. That's coming up in a month. The department will also make its regular unemployment application available in Spanish by May. That's two months after March, which is like three months from now. Additionally, it'll provide outreach to people who don't speak much English and give them more time to file claims. The state has paid out $7.3 billion in the 11 months since the coronavirus pandemic began. That's as much as they paid out in the past decade.
1: And now it's time for your daily dose of data. The Oregon Health Authority reported 649 new coronavirus cases yesterday. The state has seen a total of 144,605 cases. The OHA also reported 10 more deaths. Oregon has had a total of 1,991 deaths from the virus. As of Wednesday, the state has administered 454,244 vaccinations. Prisoners will soon be getting their vaccinations. A federal judge has ordered that all Oregon inmates should be prioritized for the COVID-19 vaccine. Inmates are incredibly vulnerable to infection because social distancing is virtually impossible inside prisons. Since the pandemic began, about 3,400 inmates have gotten COVID 19. That's 27% of all prisoners. 42 of them have died. Recently, a COVID outbreak at the Inverness jail infected 107 people. That's one fifth of the prisoner's population. As of Tuesday evening, 108 inmates at Inverness had received their first dose of the vaccine. The state has over 11,000 inmates and about 4,600 prison employees to vaccinate. Right now, about 1,600 prisoners have already been vaccinated, most of them elderly or immunocompromised. State officials say the vaccination of inmates won't interfere with shots for educators or the elderly.
0: Oregon's largest mental health care provider is asking the state for a bailout. Cascadia serves more than 18,000 Oregonians at 75 facilities from walk-in crisis centers to supportive housing. In a letter on January 15th, the Cascadia Behavioral Health CEO asked state officials for an immediate $4 million bailout. The letter cited lost revenue and increased costs due to the pandemic. The Cascadia's budget issues reflect just how hard it has been and is to secure stable funding for mental health services. The majority of Cascadia's funding comes from the health authority via our Medicaid program. In 2017, Cascadia got funding for a two-year program to provide a more holistic range of care to address addiction and mental health issues. But in 2019, that's not even two years ago, when federal funding for the program ended, lawmakers denied Cascadia's request for more funding. Second request got cut short when Republicans walked out of a legislative session in 2020, went to Idaho, wherever the heck they went. Cascadia, which employs almost 1,000 people, has already cut 38 of them to save money. But it hasn't been enough. For now, the health authority is open to helping Cascadia secure more funding, but next steps remain unclear.
1: Markesha Smith is the new special advisor on racial equity to the mayor. The job is a newly created position. Ms. Smith will provide a new voice and guidance when the mayor's office must weigh in on citywide issues related to racial equity. Ms. Smith will also continue her work as the director of Portland's Office of Equity and Human Rights. She has past experience as a high school teacher, college educator, and the equity director of the Oregon Department of Education. Ms. Smith says she wants to focus on gaining the trust of Portland's black communities, finding jobs for youth, and addressing homelessness.
0: Oregon may limit cities' ability to criminalize homeless camping. House Speaker Tina Kotek introduced a new bill that would nullify more restrictive anti-camping measures in Oregon cities. The bill is not an outright ban on anti-camping laws. Instead, it will require cities to be, and I'm quoting, objectively reasonable in regulating when, where, and how people can live outdoors. What makes a city's camping policy objectively reasonable? Well, the bill says policy should be, and I'm quoting, determined based on the totality of the circumstances, including but not limited to, the impact of the law on persons experiencing homelessness. So, reasonableness is based on the totality of the circumstances and the impact of of the law on persons experiencing homelessness. So it's clear, right? Well, we'll call it a standard more than a rule. State and federal laws about camping in public tend to be more relaxed than city laws. For instance, a recent federal ruling said cities cannot fine houseless people for camping outside. Federal courts have already ruled to limit cities' abilities to criminalize camping in public the language in Speaker Codex bill is pretty vague, giving state courts a lot of room to enforce anti-camping laws on a case-by-case basis. So this law really could change things in Portland, which has an explicit ban on public camping.
1: And finally, some good news. There's a Blazers game tonight. The Portland Trail Blazers will be facing off against the Philadelphia 76ers. The Blazers currently have 11 wins and 9 losses under the belts. The 76ers have had 15 wins and 6 losses this season. The Blazers had two important wins last week, one against the Chicago Bulls with a last-minute shot, three-point shot from Damian Lillard, and another against the Washington Wizards. Damian Lillard was added to the team's injury board, but he will still likely play tonight. Either way, it's going to be an exciting game to tune into. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Up next, we have our conversation with Allison McIntosh of the Oregon Housing Alliance. Jeff and Sam spoke with Allison about the upcoming legislative session, and what is on the table for housing.
2: All right, we are here now with Allison McIntosh from the Oregon Housing Alliance. She will be speaking with us about uh, the upcoming legislative session and the list of priorities for the Oregon Housing Alliance. Thanks for joining us, Allison. Thanks so much for having me this morning. So uh,
3: Allison, thank you. Yeah, the Oregon House Alliance uh, is focusing on helping Oregonians achieve active housing stability. Uh, tell us more about that. What's the basic housing expectation that you want Oregonians to have? Maybe it's obvious that maybe there's a definition there that people could share.
4: Sure. That's a great question, Uh, So the Oregon Housing Alliance believes that every Oregonian needs a safe, stable, and affordable place to call home. And we know, obviously, today, that's not reality in our communities. We have folks experiencing homelessness. We have folks experiencing housing instability, struggling to pay their rent or their mortgage, um, and folks who may be doubled up with other families or sleeping in situations where it's just not safe. And we have more work to do as a state to make sure that everyone can have that safe and stable place to call home.
2: So, Allison, can you explain to us um, how the team goes about identifying their priorities for specifically the 2020 year? How What was happening that year that um, pushed you to uh, make the bills that are on the table now?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, So the Housing Alliance is a coalition of 90 organizations from all parts of the state. And the coalition includes housing developers, social service providers, advocates, as well as some local jurisdictions. And we get together every year. This year obviously looked a little different. We spent a lot more time meeting on Zoom than we did in person. And we spent the bulk of the year really thinking about how we could respond to what's happening with COVID. We all know, and we've probably all been spending a lot more time in our homes this year. Home has become not just the place where we sleep at night, but it's become the place where we work and play and worship and do all the other things, go to school. And I think... I'm sure for many of us, home has become a really essential part of our lives. It always was essential, but this year, this past year, has really shown us how essential home is. And home was not just all those things for us, but it was also the prescription for staying safe from COVID, right? To be safe and to take care of your families and to rest and recover after illness, you needed that safe and stable place to call home. So the coalition spent a lot of time advocating with the legislature to both create and maintain strong protections against um, eviction and foreclosure, as well as to invest resources in safer shelter for folks experiencing homelessness across our state. But we also knew that we couldn't just stop our work because of COVID. We needed to continue to push our work forward and to continue to invest in housing stability and housing opportunity. And so the agenda that we are we did put together and that we're still a little bit putting together really seeks to both address COVID, um, the crises that our communities are still facing, as well as to continue to advance that work and to invest in housing opportunity. We also knew after September that we needed to be able to respond to the wildfires where thousands of folks lost their homes. And we need the legislature to take action as well on that front to help make sure that those folks can recover and rebuild after those devastating fires.
2: I'm seeing on House Bill 50111, you're asking the legislature to commit $50 million for rapid rent relief. Um, how does that correlate with the eviction moratorium and uh, preventing evictions? Um, yeah. That's... Specifically, like, where did you get that number?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. So it's important to remember that in December, the legislature came into a special session and they passed an eviction moratorium that's going to take us through June 30th of 2021, and they also committed $200 million in rent assistance, and about $150 million of that, landlords will apply on behalf of their tenants. They'll be able to apply for all the tenants in their building who are um, potentially behind on their rent, and then $50 million of that will go out where tenants apply for the rent assistance themselves. They're the people that call the community action agency or the rent assistance provider and say, hey, I need some help paying my rent. Can you help me? Um, That very same day, actually, the federal government also took action and passed the COVID relief package, and that included $25 billion for rent assistance nationwide. Oregon is set to receive about $280 million of money from that. Some will come directly to local jurisdictions like the city of Portland and Multnomah County, and some will go directly to the state to distribute around the state for everybody. Um, So there's a lot of resource available right now. And if folks who are listening need help, I would encourage them to call 211 and try to find a provider in their community that can help them access rent assistance. So we're really trying to look at the totality of what we're asking for, right? So we have those resources. And then we also knew that even if the pandemic ends and people go back to work by July 1st, which we're not sure about and we should talk about, um, then folks are still going to be experiencing homelessness and housing stability after that period, right? We're still going to need additional rent assistance dollars. $50 is the amount of money that the legislature put in as kind of a base budget for the 2019-2021 biennium. And so the coalition is really trying to look at both what do we need, but then also what's possible when we know we're also in an environment where the state doesn't have as much money as they need to address all these problems.
2: Does the Oregon Housing Alliance have a stance on forgiving rent indebtedness during the pandemic?
4: That's a great question. We have really tried to advocate for protection so that folks are not getting evicted if they're unable to pay their rent. And then also rent assistance, right? We really don't want to see folks end the period of the eviction moratorium with a bunch of rent debt, which is why we've been so advocating for so much rent assistance as we go. Um, we, are, we do have Community Alliance of Tenants as a member of the Housing Alliance, and they've asked us to consider also their rent forgiveness proposal, which we're working um, to consider in the next couple of weeks. But we also know we're not sure what's gonna happen right on July 1st. And so we need to start thinking now with the legislature about what proposals might need to be put in place. Is it access to a grace period? Is it um, access to mediation? Is it access to legal assistance? Is it some other form of assistance that tenants need? And so what we're doing right now is asking members of the Housing Alliance and folks in communities to share with us what they think folks are gonna need on July 1st, so that we can start advocating with our legislature for that.
3: Was the $200 million, it, it, I want to make sure our memories or my memory is, is right, the $2 million was already allocated. There's already decision to help uh, to help make sure that people stay in place and that landlords, it seemed like the move was you've got folks who have been paying rent for some number of months. And the idea was they'd be kicked out the moment that the the eviction moratorium ended and that there was already, what is it, you get 75 percent or 80 percent of the back rent if you're a landlord paid if you agree to keep the tenant in their home. Do I have that right? And is that already in place now? That's a great question.
4: So it was uh, there was 150 million that went into the landlord. Com- it's called the landlord compensation fund. It's being administered by Oregon Housing and Community Services. It is about to open in the next week on Friday. Oregon Housing and Community Services held a webinar um, so that folks could find out what they needed to do to access that fund. Landlords are obviously going to have to submit some information, right? They're going to have to tell the state how much money they're owed and by whom. And then they will receive, like you said, 80% of the money that they're owed, and they're going to need to forgive the other 20%. Tenants will not be held responsible for that 20% of money. And then tenants will still remain protected through um, June 30th under the eviction moratorium. Although it's important to know, and particularly for folks Um, Well, for folks all over the state, the protections are not automatic anymore. Folks do need to sign a form and return it to their landlord if they're currently still unable to pay rent, saying that they've been impacted by the circumstances in which we all find ourselves. Um, And so to get that protection, folks need to sign that form. And they can find that form on the Oregon Judicial Department website on the Multnomah County website, on the Community Alliance of Tenants website or um, there's another website called Oregon Law Help that can also direct you to the form.
3: And that form, does it require any specific burden or it just or, or literally anybody in Oregon could sign this form with a straight face because every single person has been impacted by the pandemic uh, and is there any is there any follow up? Is it just a is it just a require some base communication in the hopes that a landlord and a tenant will at least be talking? Is that its intent? Mm -hmm.
4: The form is signed, it's an attestation, and so tenants are signing it saying that they're signing what they know to be true of their own individual circumstances, and there are a range of circumstances that the form kind of identifies as possible. Perhaps they've lost work or they've lost hours at their job. Maybe they've had to leave work because their kids are at home and they can't both work and take care of their kids when they're home. Um, Maybe they've been impacted directly by COVID and they've had increased medical expenses or they've been taking care of somebody who's had increased medical expenses. So there's a range of circumstances that folks might have found themselves in during this pandemic And the form asks them to check the one that applies and sign it and return to their landlord. There is no ability, though, for the landlord to ask for detailed
2: follow-up information.
3: Sam, what else you got?
2: So there were two bills that I saw on the 2021 agenda that were referencing um, updates to tax exemptions for property owners. I'm just wondering what's different about these from the bills of the past, which deal with the same thing
4: yeah for sure Um, always happy to get into the weeds i'm going to try not to make this too nerdy um although it's always a risk i will admit uh so when we build affordable housing in our communities the folks who are doing that development are basically trying to put together a really complicated math puzzle right they're getting money from the state and federal government maybe they're getting money from the local government as well And they're trying to piece together all these sources so they can serve folks with the lowest incomes in our communities. And they know that they are going to only be able to charge a certain amount in rent, because when you take federal or state money in order to build affordable housing, there are some really strict rules about how much rent you can charge and for how long and how long it needs to be affordable. So property tax exemptions are one way that a local government can say, hey, affordable housing is really important in our community. And it's so important that we are willing to forego the property taxes that this property would normally pay. Um, and developer, this is going to help you as well because it's one less piece of money that you have to find from the state or federal government, basically. And those property tax exemptions were created by the legislature. So the legislature has given permission to local governments to say, yes, for affordable housing, you can offer them a property tax exemption But the legislature also wants to make sure that we're all doing our job, right? So every six years, they ask us to come back and say, is this still the right program? Is this program still meeting its goal? Is it doing its job, basically? And so these property tax exemptions, it's their turn. It's been six years, and it's time for us to go back to the legislature and say, yes, these are still important. Please renew these for another six-year period. Does that make sense?
2: It does. And I'm also wondering, does this tax exemption outline, does it include any requirements for the building in terms of unit sizing, location, close proximity to resources, anything like that?
4: Not for this one. There are a whole bunch of complex rules. So when developers go to the state to ask for those state or federal dollars, and For most developers, when they're asking for federal money, the state is the entity that's kind of administering those, right? They're holding the competition. And when they apply for those resources, there are way more applications than there are actual resources. And so the state might fund one out of every two, one out of every three applications that they receive. And in the application, the developer has to say, this property is located near good schools or transit or good jobs or this um, property is going to provide homes for families and so we have larger bedroom sizes and we have a playground on site there and they're asked to respond to all those questions and their application is judged based on how well they respond to those questions
2: understood okay ashley mcintosh i'm so sorry i did that again allison mcintosh is your name your proper name is there anything else you wanted to add before we uh close this segment
3: Yeah, and also I wanted to hear what what were the what opposition are you facing in the legislative session as you as you close out as we move to the next thing before you go. What are the political dynamics in the coming session? Housing is a priority, but budgets are tight, I suspect, is one version of headline, but what are you up against?
4: Yeah, I think that is exactly the headline. Housing is a priority, but budgets are tight. Exactly. And so we're going to be making the case to the legislature that housing is so important, right? It is foundational for all of us that we have a safe and stable home. And it's not just us as individuals, but it's our success as communities and families and as a state about how we treat folks experiencing homelessness and housing instability and how all of us do. And
3: the... and. Where can pe- where's the best source of information for people to check out the key housing bills facing the legislature? That's
4: a great question. You know, as you know, the legislature has actually put quite a bit of time and energy into making their website more accessible. So folks can go on and sign up to get um, committee agendas from the housing committee if they want to engage in that level of Nerdiness. Um, they can also watch hearings remotely on their computer. Now it's actually really easy to sign up to testify from your house. You can testify by phone or video if there's a bill that you are impacted by or feel really strongly about. You don't have to take that trip to Salem. Lots of legislators are also engaging in online, um, you know, at forums with their constituents. So that's another great place. And then our website, which is oregonhousingalliance.org or our social media, will try to keep people up to date and informed.
3: Well, I will say you gave us more, quote, good question, end quote, after a questions than I think any guest in history. You gave us five, I think of them might've been six. I don't know if that is because we did a better job of asking a question or you just are so complimentary and kind and forgiving to us. But thank you for being with us, Allison.
4: Well, thank you so much for having me. It was lovely to speak with you both.
0: Thanks to Allison for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for your five-star review. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.